Good to have you with us this morning. My, how this year has, is flying, <laughs> flying through. So much has happened, and it seems as if in a, in a very short amount of time, Last week, um, I took a small, what I thought would be a small break from the Gospel of John just to touch on an issue that uh, I think we have to kind, constantly be reminded about, and that, that is the issue of, of truth, of standing for truth. And uh, so we focused our attention on Ephesians chapter 6, dealing with the uh, belt of truth and, and the breastplate of righteousness. But after last week, I, I thought uh, that it would be too incomplete to leave you with two pieces of armor and not touch upon the rest. So we're going to touch upon the rest in Ephesians chapter 6 here in just a moment. But I want to preface this with the understanding that Jesus When entering into Jerusalem on that Passover week before his crucifixion, it stated to his disciples concerning the last days, prophetically he said to them to take heed that no man deceive you. Take heed that no man deceive you. The first idea would be, well, you know, any man could deceive us. But no man, whether it be someone in, and, in or out of the church, because even in the church we have deception. Is there any reason why Jesus baptized the church first and foremost, the early church, in Jerusalem, in the upper room, with the Holy Spirit? That we might have not only the gifts of the Spirit, not only have the Spirit, of course, to, to, to witness uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, but to have the Spirit to discern, as discernment is one of, the, one of the gifts that is given to the church. And I can say that in these, in these last days, we are going to hear a lot of stuff about revival but I have to warn you that some of those things that we might hear will actually be false revivals. We've had them already. Within the last 20 years, we had revivals, quote-unquote revivals, that had people barking you know, on their knees in churches and laughter and screaming and yelling and whatnot and saying, well, this was the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit does not confuse So these are the things that we need to pay attention to. I have to tell you that uh, what we're looking at here, both last week and, and also this week, is not a, an in-depth study of the, of the, of the uh, armor of God, but, but it is something that reminds us that the armor of God is the armor of truth. Every piece of the armor has to do with truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. I came to bear witness of the truth. I'll mention that in just a moment. But the point is, this is something that we need to remember always, that this is the battle that we're facing as we wait for Jesus to return for his church. And we need to be ready. And we need to be rational. And we need to rely upon the truth of the word of God. So Paul, in closing the letter that he wrote to the Ephesian church would say these things. Ephesians 6, beginning with verse 10, he says, finally, my brethren. The book of Ephesians is one of the great theological texts of the scriptures. And, and so through the first five and a half chapters of Ephesians, we have so many wonderful truths. So when he says finally, well, we think, well, this is at the wrap up, you know. But the wrap-up is, is really the strongest part of what he writes. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong not only in the Lord, but be strong in the power of his might, which means be strong in all of the resources that God gives you. 
and rely upon the resources that God gives you. What has God given us? He's given us his word and he's given us his spirit. He's given us his presence. We have the Lord with us. Let's never forget that. And then he says, put on the whole armor of God that, that you may be able to, to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Well, there's some of the... some of the pieces of the armor of God. I don't know why, I, I, I chose that and, and I, I thought, well, there's a couple I wouldn't have put up there, but, yeah, you know, yeah, just throw out the rest in your mind. Don't have to worry about them. I considered it necessary to give a fuller understanding to the issue of truth beyond just mentioning the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness as I did last week, having focused on those two pieces of the believer's armor. Uh, the main reason is simple. Because every piece of the armor of God is, in fact, related to truth. And therefore, we must also look as a whole at the armor of God as the armor of truth. It is the armor of truth. And as we established last time, the Lord Jesus made it clear in John chapter 14 that He alone is the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it is said in such a way, in the Greek, it is said in such a way that says, I am the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And then he said in John 18 to Pilate, and he made it clear to Pilate, uh, Pontius Pilate, that he came to bear witness of the truth because he is the truth. So his very life bears witness of himself and of what he came to do and what he came to say, what he came to testify. The battles that we fight today, for the most part, are focused on some aspect of truth as it relates to Jesus Christ. Today, the war that we are engaged in, which, which began nearly 6,000 years ago in the garden, as we saw last time, has us entangled on battlefields outside of, as well as inside of the church. And in these last days, we as believers in Jesus Christ, who stand upon the truth of the Word of God wholeheartedly, and who stand up for the truth of God's Word, <coughs> excuse me, are faced with a challenge of discerning between truth and error, between right and wrong, between justice and injustice, between light and darkness, and life and death. And we have to discern between all of these things. We have to know which is which. As John tells us in his first letter to the church, 1 John 2, verses 18 and 19, little children, it is the last time. What John is saying here is, it is the last time. Days. It is the last days. We are in the last days. That was 2,000 years ago. So now we are in the last of the last of the last of the last of the days. So consider that when you think of what he says here. Because he says, little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists. In John's time, there were many people who were Antichrist. Not only against Christ, an opposition to Christ, but in fact also there were false Christs. So, you know, figure that because it's the same way now. He says, whereby we know that it is the last time because of that. And then he says, they went out from us. Now I want you to take hold of what he says here in context. He says, they went out from us. What is he saying? He was saying that they were in with us. They were in the church. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Now that is spooky. 
Don't you think? That there would be people in the church acting like Christians, behaving like Christians, speaking like Christians, looking like Christians. What does a Christian look like? But doing all of those things and yet leaving and going out with an antichrist spirit. That's heavy duty. Later on in 1 John chapter 4, John says this, he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. In other words, test the spirits. We as believers in Jesus Christ must, with discernment and with the understanding that comes from the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, test the spirits, the things that are being said, the things that are being done around us, test them whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. The greatest way to test is with the Word of God. But then he says this, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. So you have all kinds of cults today. All kinds of different views of of Jesus. Calling Jesus one thing or another. And then you have Islam, which this, this actually fits with Islam very, very clearly. Because of the language that, that John used about, uh, the, you know, whoever confesses Jesus, you know, comes in the flesh. As the Messiah is of God, the Son of God. They don't, uh, Islam does not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So... But then there's also other non-Christian cults that, that, uh, that fit this, this particular passage. We're not going to go all of it uh, or into it all today. But, but understand this. When you go on, it says, you are of God. Now he speaks to the church. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. You have overcome the Antichrist spirit. He says, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have to know that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. But then he says this, they are of the world, describing them again, they are of the world, therefore they, uh, speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. We who were with Jesus, we who touched Jesus, we who spoke with Jesus, we who ate with Jesus, we who traveled with Jesus, you hear us, because We were sent out as the apostles to bring you the good news of Jesus. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Who's hearing what? Who's hearing what today? And so it is high time then, you see, that the true church of Jesus Christ realize that we are not in a playground, but in a battlefield each and every day of our lives until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not in a playground. I don't know why it is that some people are doing things in churches to try to attract people by by using entertainment and all kinds of other things to get them into the church. Listen, this is not a playground. we're, We're in a battle. We're on the battlefield today. And we are to remember that we're not fighting this battle with our hands. What did Paul say in in, in this passage in Ephesians 6? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle not with our hands. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that our weapons are not uh, carnal, but they're mighty in God. In fact, let's read Ephesians 6.12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This is the demonic antichrist spirit that is all around us today. Do we ever, do we ever ask, why is there so much wickedness in the world? 
Well, it's been with us for, you know, almost 6,000 years. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, after saying that our weapons are not uh, carnal but are mighty, here's the reason why. For the casting down of imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing it into captivity, every thought to, to the obedience of Christ. So what we need to understand as believers in Jesus Christ today is that every day of our lives, every day of our lives seem to be one, it, it seems to be one fight after another. Now I hope that you can attest to this. Every day of our lives seems to be one fight after another. This temptation, that temptation, this struggle, that struggle, this weird goofy thing, and that dumb situation. All kinds of weirdness. And it might even bring us to think this. We might even think, man, why does this always happen to me? Have you ever thought about that? Why does this always happen to me? But you're not alone. In many cases, you are experiencing the same things that your brothers and sisters in the Lord are going through. And in many cases, it's a lot worse for them. I want you to remember something that Jesus said in John 16. Now remember, anything before we get to John 19 and all uh, is, is, is about what's leading up to his crucifixion. So here he is with his disciples. Here he is before he goes to the cross. And he says this to them. He says in John 16, 31, Jesus answered them. He said, do you now believe? He says, behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that you shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. And immediately, of course, we, we turn to the fact that when they come to get Jesus, all the disciples will scatter. They will leave. They, they will leave in fear. They won't be with him there. They'll follow in the shadows like Peter did. But there's some prophetic touch to this particular statement that Jesus made. Because when things get tough for believers, do we scatter? Do we go on our own? It's been known to happen. People can't face the, the fire of the persecution or the rejection. And they just say, this is not for me. What does that say about the heart? Was there ever anything there to begin with? But notice what he says. These things I've spoken unto you. I've told you already. These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace, that you might have completeness and wholeness and trust in me, that I am with you, you know. I'm with you. And he says, in the world you shall have tribulation. You will. He doesn't say you might have. He says you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What a tremendous statement Jesus makes because he hasn't even gone to the cross yet. But the cross is a, it's a sure thing. His death is a sure thing. His burial is a sure thing. And his resurrection is a sure thing. And he says, I've overcome the world. To Timothy, on Paul's last steps on his journey on this earth before he sees glory, he tells his son in the faith these things in 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 and following. He says, but, but thou hast fully known my doctrine. In other words, you've seen my life. You know where I stand in the truth. You know my doctrine manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my charity, my patience. You see, all of those things were personal things that Paul was mentioning. And folks, you have a personal life that you're showing to the world as well, to your family, to your, to your friends, to the people that need to know who you are in Christ. We're, you know, we're an open book. This is what Paul is saying. He says, thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me in Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured. There was a bunch of them, and they were pretty hot and hard and heavy. But out of them all, the Lord delivered me. 
Perseverance, folks, needs to be a trait of every believer in Jesus Christ in these last days. Persevere through whatever we go through. Paul goes on to say this, Yea, and all that will live godly. Whoa, you've got to live godly. But he says, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Not might, maybe, shall. You live your life godly. You live it according to the word of God. And persecution will find you. It will find you. But then notice what he goes on to say. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. It's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. Evil men will grow worse and worse. You ever look at the paper how, how evil man is today? There's not a day that we don't see some evil that is just put out on the TV screen or in the newspaper. Just, just pure evil. Comes from the pit of hell, folks. And this is what we're living in amongst today. But notice what he says. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And there's some sense that we need to understand that who are they trying to seduce? The world already accepts the world, but what about those who are in the church? Being seduced by something that is not backed up by the Word of God. Where does that lead? Deceiving and being deceived. Is is it any wonder that we need to be discerning? But continue thou. Notice what he says. You continue in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. His own mother and grandmother taught Timothy the word of God. And he knew the word of God. And wherefore, well, When you go read on, of course, he talks about the inspiration of the Word of God, you know. And and, and we brought that up many times. But in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 13, Paul says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand, take heed lest he fall. Now, this is something that needs, needs to awaken in every believer in Jesus Christ. Let's remember who we are. He says, let him think he, uh, wherefore let him that think he stands take he lest he fall. There are people today who think they're, they're standing on solid ground when they're not. A lot of people have been told, hey, listen, you're a king's kid. You're, you know, you have everything. You, you, everything belongs to you. You can have whatever you want. You can speak everything into existence. You can do this and you can do that. Really? Some of you have probably heard the songs by Rich Mullins. Rich Mullins was a Christian artist, a Christian singer worship leader and all, and he, a few years ago, he, he was killed in a, in a, in a terrible accident. He, he wrote Awesome God, you know, we've sung a, lot, a few of his songs and stuff. But he wrote a song one time. The song is simply titled, You're Not As Strong As You Think You Are. It's a deep song, I mean, when you listen to it, you might want to look it up and, and listen to it. As it points out, you know, we're living in a time when we've been told, you know, all kinds of sweet stuff and, you know, smiley things and all kinds of stuff, you know. And we're not giving you the, the, the full truth. So people have this thing that they think they can stand, but they're not going to be able to stand because they're not standing on the foundation of the Word of God. So Paul says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. Then he says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. In other words, we are all the same. We all go through the same things. We have the same problems, the same temptations, the same tribulations as everyone else in the church. He says, But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with a temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So we're all in the same boat. No one's better than anybody else. No one's stronger than anybody else. Nobody has been able to get away from all of the troubles that come unless you live in a bubble. And surely some bubble is going to have a crack in it. So something's going to happen because this earth is deteriorating. 
If we're living our lives as believers in Jesus Christ, we know what is going to be happening. Every day, the enemy wants to destroy you. So spiritual struggles, troubling temptations, and and tribulations are common among brethren. But here's the question that we need to ask. Are we actively engaged in the spiritual warfare using all of God's spiritual strength and spiritual weapons? Are we using everything, in other words, that God has given to us? His Word, His Spirit, His gifts, His armor, everything. Are we using them? This is why in verse 13 of our text it says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Don't, this is not pick and choose time. I want everything else that's really nice, but the helmet is going to mess up my hair. Well, I like the helmet, but the belt's too tight. We don't pick and choose. You take the whole armor of God because there's a reason that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Are we in the evil day? We are. And having done all, boy, there's a question we have to ask. Are we doing all? I don't know that we are. Now, individually, we need to ask ourselves that. That's why we come to the table of communion today and examine ourselves to see that we're in the faith. But folks, having done all, we stand. Having done all to stand. Are you standing on the Word of God? Are you standing with the pieces of armor that God has given us to wear us, the whole and complete armor of God? So since we've covered the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, let's now look at the shoes of the gospel of peace. The shoes of the gospel of peace. You can call it the sandals of the gospel of peace too if you want. In verse 15 it says, Your feet and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now there are two ways of looking at and understanding this verse. Both equally significant and important to consider. In one sense, in light of the context of this passage on the armor of God, and the context is very clear, standing. Three times it mentions that we stand. So that's the context that Paul has placed the armor of God here for us to, understand, you know, to take. So in light of the context of this passage on the armor of God, which is standing, we are to see the shoes then as the preparation which literally in the Greek, the word preparation there means a prepared foundation. A prepared foundation. Think of the shoes that the, uh, the Roman soldier wore. He didn't wear just regular sandals. He didn't just wear regular uh, leather straps on his feet. They prepared those shoes for battle. They put spikes and studs and, and all kinds of things underneath so that they could stand and not be moved. They could stand their ground. And not only that, but if they had to, they they could proceed without any slippage. You know, they wouldn't slip. They wouldn't fall. So it was a very special type of shoe that they wore. So we, we see the shoes then as a preparation or a prepared foundation for, listen, the stability of the believer with a sure footedness that comes from the gospel... Because that's what it says, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, giving them peace and assurance and completeness to stand in the battle. You have the right kind of gear, you're going to stand in the right place. We just finished seeing the World Series, and you know those baseball players that get into the batter's box and they dig in deep, and because they, they, you know, they don't want to be slipping. You know, you did not see one baseball player wearing ballerina shoes, because those just wouldn't work. They'd be slipping and sliding all over the place. So they dug deep because they had spikes on their shoes. Preparation. So the sure-footedness is they're not going to be moving. And they could stand. But of equal importance is the necessity 
This is the second thing that we need to understand. The necessity that we have as soldiers of Jesus Christ to fight for the lives of those who are, that we are not fighting against. Remember, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. So to whom are we called? Later on, we'll see that Jesus calls us out to do what? To make disciples of every nation. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That means we have to go. We have to proceed forward. We need to advance. We're dealing with a people who need to hear the good news. So it isn't just standing. That's, that's important. And there'll be people who tell you that's all it is about, just standing. But if we mention the gospel of peace, we need to understand that there are people who have no peace today because they have no understanding of the gospel. And what is the gospel? That God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And if we're here today, for the most part, I would hope and pray that each and every one of you is saved. That you know that you have the salvation that only Jesus Christ can give us. The good news is that Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, taking upon himself the sins of men and shedding his blood for the remission and forgiveness of our sins by being the atoning sacrifice for all who believe, Jew and Gentile. And Jesus is is to be taken, not just in, 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 in the small little area we call our own space, Jesus is to, be, is to be taken into the workplace. He's to be taken into our homes, into our families, into our marriages, into our relationships, into, our, in, in, into every place we go. Wherever the need exists, wherever the darkness engulfs people, wherever despair and spiritual death fester, the gospel takes us. First and foremost, the gospel takes us. Why? Because it has us. We belong to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ belongs to us. And we are called to go. You know, Isaiah said, here am I, take me. Here am I. Be careful of anybody that says, here am I, take him. Here am I. Take me. If we've died to self, then who lives in us? Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if we're dead and Christ lives in us, we have nothing to fear. We go. And then Isaiah 52 verse 7 begins to make a whole lot of sense. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that brings good tidings, good news. We have good news. Each and every one of us has good news because we're living in a world of bad news. It's bad news every day. We have good news. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good news, that publishes peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publishes salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy, thy God reigneth. Your God reigns. We have good news. When, when, at one time in our life, we were the bad news bearers. But everything's changed. We have good news. But we have to be discerning. Why does the gospel message give us stability? Why does the gospel message give us stability? Because it is the truth. Sure-footedness because it is built upon the rock of truth. It is built upon Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation. And that fact can't be shaken. That fact cannot be shaken. 
No matter how many people try to shake your faith, that fact cannot be shaken. Which means, though, that we need to work more and more to understand the Word of God than we ever have before. Because God says we are to give an answer to every man who asks. Us. About our faith. No matter what the enemy throws at you, your footing is going to be secure in Jesus Christ. But then comes the shield of faith. The shield of faith. And again, this, uh, uh, you know, we, we could spend a lot of time on every piece of armor. We could spend months, even years, if we wanted to. Uh, William Gurnall wrote a, uh, an exposition on this one passage of, of, of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. And it's a book about this thick. He wrote it back in the, like in the 17th century, I think. 18th, 17th, 18th century. But anyway, he, he wrote this book. And I mean, he, he, he really expounds on almost every word at, you know, like the ands and the these and the thous and everything else. You know, every word. I mean, it's a long, it's a, a tremendous, it's a tremendous study. I have a good dear friend. Uh, many of you have heard him because he's been here. Uh, Greg Reed, who, who took his Bible study people through the spiritual armor, uh, spiritual warfare series, using this a lot, and, and you know, dug deep for many, many months. It can be done. We're doing this in week, two weeks. But it's done because it's an encouragement to you to get back into it and study it. Above all, above all. Two words, above all. Everything is important in the armor of God, but above all, <laughs> take the shield of faith. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. All the fiery darts. Not just some of the fiery darts, not most of them, all of them. All the fiery darts. You know, you see sometimes pictures of, of the armor of God, you know, and, and people, you know, wearing these funny costumes. And then, but then they have this shield that's about, you know, looks like the size of a, a pizza plate. Uh, that's not the shield, okay, unless it's got pepperoni. That's not the shield. The shield was designed to cover all the armor. That's why it says above all. <laughs> covers all the armor, and, the, and, and it was at the soldier's front side always. It was a large shield. Some believe that it was about four feet by two feet. And these guys all weren't, weren't tall people either, so, you know, it practically covered them. Sometimes they were a little bit bigger, maybe five feet or whatever. But they were big shields. Sometimes you see movies where they have these Roman armies and these groups of uh, Roman soldiers, uh, you know, they get together and they're, they're shoulder to shoulder and then they put their shields and they get down on their knees because all these arrows are coming at them and then these other uh, guys come and put the shields above them and then others above them and then they get down and it's just one big block of shield and then the arrows come and then of course they can only fire one arrow at a time so all these arrows come and then when they're reloading, these guys get up and, pew, you know, go. So... It's, it's, it is the greatest defensive weapon that they have. It's the size of a small door. That's the shield. And the, sto the soldier stood uh, behind it fully protected from the fiery arrows of the approaching enemy. And those fiery darts, by the way, the fiery darts of the wicked, they come at us fast. They come at us fast. They don't sneak up on us. Because if you could see the fiery dart coming from about a mile away, what would you do? Oh, well, it's just a mile away. Sometimes you can't see it coming. They come so fast. And they come furious too. Because the enemy's, the enemy, the enemy's mad at us. The enemy hates us. I, I said this last week. And they will continue to come as long as we are on this earth. Let's remember that. 
The only thing that can bat them down is the shield of faith. So what, what does the enemy throw at us? I'm not going to give you the whole list. We don't have time because we're coming to the table of communion in just a moment. But what does the enemy throw at us? Because he's launched even to this, to this very moment, even before you even came here. Think about this. He has launched wicked thoughts. He has launched horrible temptations, evil enticements at us. Long and hard. Even here, in prayer or in the Word, seemingly out of nowhere, thoughts rushed in. At times, these thoughts make us burn with anger. We begin to think of somebody that might be in this room, and we say, we don't like that person very much. And they keep doing things that are making me really angry. Now, in that, in that, in that frame of, of mind and thought right now, are you worshiping God? But the enemy's throwing that at you. Stuff like that. We burn with anger or, or maybe something has happened that we begin to burn with gossip. Or with something ugly in thought or in word. By the way, even feeling sorry for ourselves for whatever reason can be a fiery dart that the enemy throws at you, at us. To judge others or to think harshly of others who, who we might feel do more to meet our need, uh, who do, you know, uh, who should do more to meet our need, then we be grateful to the Lord for His presence. I've seen that happen many times. People upset because somebody wasn't there for them, you know. But they didn't really go to the Lord. So that's a fiery dart. We blame others for our own inconsistencies of faith. But I like the words of Paul to bring us back to where we need to be as believers in Jesus Christ. When he says in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14, he says, For this reason I, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have we done that this morning? From whom... The whole family in heaven and earth is named. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There's faith. There's trust. There's complete and total dependency upon the Lord. Not depending upon ourselves, but depending on him for everything. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. We examine ourselves before we come to this table of communion today and we ask ourselves, are we being filled with Christ dwelling in us through faith? That you being rooted and grounded in love, I mean plugged into Christ, plugged into the rock of Christ, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height in every dimension of your life. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. To know the love of Christ. Is that your desire for Jesus every day? To know the love of Christ more and more and more. And then notice that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a prayer. That you, church member, you, member of the body of Christ, you, Christian, you, believer, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Not some of the fullness of God. Not just the things that you might want and not want of, you know. No, all the fullness of God. Because if God is all good, if God is all holy, if God is all righteous, if God is all true, then don't we want all of God? Don't we want all the fullness of God? There's a helmet of salvation. It's within the same very same verse, right? I mean, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. So we're going to do those two together. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Roman soldier wore a helmet that was basically made of thick leather that was covered with metal plates. Other types of helmets that were worn were made of heavy molded or beaten metal. Some also had cheek plates that helped protect the face. But when you put the helmet together with the, the breastplate and all, everything was covered. Everything was covered. 
The obvious purpose of the helmet, of course, was to protect the head from being injured as the enemy swung the large double-edged sword, the broad sword, the long sword, anywhere from four to five feet long. That's a big sword. It was called the Romphia in the Greek. And that whole idea of swinging that was to just lop heads off in the battle. So everything had to be protected from head to the neck to the breastplate, everything around. This little pizza plate shield would not take care of that. Many times the enemy gets us to doubt our salvation or the security that we have in Jesus Christ. Remember what we learned in John chapter 5, not long ago. In verse 24, Jesus said, Most assuredly I say unto you, He who hears my word and believes in him, who sent me has everlasting life. Look at, look at the verb, has, has everlasting life. Look at the tense, present tense. Has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. John would later on write again in, in John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So we can know that we have it. And he says, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So Satan and his minions, they just love to swing the double-edged sword of doubt and discouragement. Trying to get us to stumble and to make us ineffective as Christians. Because you see, he can't take us out of the Father's hand or out of the hand of Jesus, but he can make us insecure. He can make us weak in our actions and in our walk. Every time we've been on fire for the Lord and we go, you know, we've done things, we've gone here and we've gone there, and then all of a sudden we, we, call, we call something that happens to us burnout. We just say, wow, I burned out. Really? Well, where'd that come from? Because if I know one thing, the Lord will never burn us out. He burns in us to continue. The enemy wants you to believe you burn out. Because the moment that you burn out, the moment that you say you burn out, the moment you... You know, everybody, we all need to rest. Don't get me wrong, we all need to rest. We're humans, we're, we're in flesh. We all need to rest. But when we start going the other direction, that's not the Lord. That's the flesh. Responding to the doubts and the discouragements of the enemy. The helmet is a reminder that we have great hope in our final salvation which gives us great confidence and assurance that our present struggles will not last forever. Remember I said earlier, perseverance? We're called to have perseverance. We will be victorious in the end. We know that because the Word of God tells us that. We can trust that. The victory is ours in Jesus Christ. But we have to continue the fight. The sword of the Spirit. Paul's not speaking of the broadsword here, not the big, long broadsword. He's, he's speaking of something called a makaida, which was anywhere from 6 to eight, 18 inches long, and it was used in hand-to-hand combat. This was the one that needed to be sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword. Broadswords could be sharp, but they, they didn't have to be sharp all the time because you just wheel that thing and you knock somebody's head off. But in hand-to-hand combat, you had to have that small sharp knife, you know, to penetrate through some of the armor or or wherever you could find a a way to get in. I mean, you're fighting hand-to-hand. Many times that's the fight that we have with the enemy ourselves. That little sword was carried in a sheath which was attached to the soldier's belt and thus was already, always ready for use. It was always there. You can even see pictures. One guy has his big sword, but on his belt he's got that little Smaller, two-edged sword. So for believers, Paul makes clear that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, and it is quite powerful. We're all familiar with Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the Word of God is living 
and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now what's interesting here is that Paul uses the Greek word rhema for the word word up there rather than the word logos. He uses the word rhema. Because Paul is referring here to a precise understanding of the Scriptures. A precise understanding of the Scriptures. In other words, the ability to expound on the specific truths within the Scriptures. That is what rhema is. And in this we must be armed. Because the sword of the Spirit is our weapon of offense. Our weapon of offense against the onslaught of deceit and doubt. So there's the whole armor of God. The belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. The shoes of the gospel of peace. You have the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. The shield of faith, above all. Above all. But then Paul adds this. Another great weapon. Praying always, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You see, in all the battles that we face, there is a time to retreat. There is a time to retreat, as I mentioned earlier. But not a retreat to run away. Folks, don't run away. It is not a retreat to run away, but a retreat to call for the heavy, long-range artillery. You got it? We're in a war. We're in a battle. When we retreat, we do what? We call for heavy artillery. That's what prayer is. Calling for God's heavy artillery to come. Wherever we need it. Those of you who have been in combat understand this. You go in, you do the work that you do on the ground. Then when it's time and things are prepared and ready, you call in for the heavy artillery to come. Whether it comes from the sea, whether it comes through the air, but it comes. But you call for it. In the battles that we face, There is a time to retreat and a time to wait upon God. The great thing is that we do not fight this battle alone. And I think that this is our our greatest help. We don't fight the battle alone. The Lord is with us. He's never sent us out. He didn't say, okay, now that I've saved you, you all go out there and don't bother me now, son, and just get out there and do what you got to do and See what happens. That's not God. He says, I'm going to go with you. Remember what he said to Joshua. I'll be with you always. I mean, he said to Joshua, I'm I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Jesus, to his disciples after his resurrection, says to them, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you. He gave them His Spirit. He says, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. The promise was He was going to fill them with the Spirit. He was going to be present with them. So, we have this understanding now that we must put on the whole armor of God. That we must be aware. We must be aware that the enemy is going to do everything he can to deceive us. Even from within the church, we have to be discerning. We have to watch. We have to be vigilant. Because the Lord says, I'm coming soon. Be ready. 
Go about your lives, live your lives, trust the Lord. Enjoy the blessings that God gives you, but realize this. We're in a battle. And the weapon that the enemy uses against us is deception. Or the weapons he uses is deception, doubt, and discouragement. Deception, doubt, and discouragement. Even from within the church. Well, we're not going to be deceived, amen? Amen. We're not going to doubt because we believe every word of God is true. We're not going to get discouraged. We might, you know, in the flesh sometimes we struggle. We all do. But immediately go to the Lord. Immediately pray, always, with all prayer and supplication. Prayer for specific needs. Pray for specific things. As it says to us, there, not up here, but there in, in verse 18. Be watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication. Pray for others. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ, especially those who have been barraged and tacked in a great way. So when you take the bread and the cup this morning, let's, let's realize something. We, we're, we are examining ourselves to see that we're in the faith because this is, this is our, our battle call. So we need to be right with the Lord. Let's get right with him today. Amen? Father, thank you for your, for, for, for your word. We ask that you would, Lord, as we prepare for the bread and the cup this morning, be... Be certainly mindful, Lord God, of the things that you have have shared with us today. Lord, that we would, in fact, just uh, listen to you, trust in your spirit, trust in your word. Because as we go out from this place today, we know that the enemy will do everything he can to upset us, to upset the cart, as it were, in which we serve you. We want to be right with you, Lord God, in everything. So help us to focus our attention on those things as we take the bread and the cup this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.
nothing can separate Even when I ran away Cause your love never fails No, I still make mistakes But you have me mercies for me every day Cause your love never Stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And when the oceans rage, I don't have to be afraid. Because I know that you love me Your love me